it's uh, it's nice to do the the training with my girlfriend. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. Yo, welcome to episode 120 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about training with their girlfriend. What? Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash make the most. And yes, we are getting underway with a review today. Five stars by Stefan E. from Sweden. A truly helpful podcast with lots of great information and inspirations. Damien explains scientific studies in an easy-to-understand way so that a semi-pro cyclist really can get helpful advice. Thank you, Stefan. I'm glad that the scientific stuff is getting through. I know it's a little tricky sometimes. I always try and make it as simple as I can. And if you do like the show, I would love a review on either iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me go. Ding dong bell, ding dong bell. Thank you very much. Okay, so the performance probe this week, and probe number one is a study called The Effects of Different Strength Training Regimes on Cycling Performance. This paper itself starts by talking about that there is conflicting literature on the effect of strength training on road cycling performance, with the most recent literature showing a positive effect with maximal strength training. Most of these articles are flawed in that they compare strength training added to an endurance program with only endurance training, while many elite cyclists already use some sort of strength training in their program, mainly submaximal or explosive resistance training. So the purpose of this study was to determine if maximal study training is superior to sub-maximal strength training. They compared the efforts of maximal and sub-maximal strength training programs on cycling performance in young elite cyclists while keeping the number of strength training sessions equal. The strength training programs consisted of maximal, which is front squats, squat jumps, one-arm dumbbell press, box steps, Romanian deadlifts from weeks one to four, and squat, box jumps, one-arm dumbbell pull, one-leg squat, and deadlift from knee height in weeks six till nine. They did three to five sets of three to six rep maximums. Or the other group, the sub-maximal strength training group, did half squats, squat jumps, one-armed dumbbell presses, leg press, one leg, and Romanian deadlift from weeks one to four, and half squat, hip flexion, bent over row, box steps, and half lifting from weeks six to nine, and three sets of eight to 12 repetitions. So strength training was performed twice a week and was concurrent to cycling endurance training, which kept similar for both groups through individualized training. 17 male cyclists were assessed for mean maximal power output over 5, 15, 30, 60, 240 and 600 seconds, three to seven days before and after the first and last strength training sessions. So what were the results? Between group differences for all cycling tests were found unclear, except at 15 seconds mean maximal power and at 30 seconds mean maximal power, where the maximal strength group performed worse. 
So these results show that maximal strength training was not superior over submaximal strength training in these elite cyclists. And the researchers go on to say that a possible explanation for this discrepancy with recent studies is that the participants in their study were already used to strength training, while other studies had participants that had no experience with strength training, and the strength training was added to their cycling training, which increased the overall amount of training time and stress that those riders were experienced to. So coming from relative rest, the increase in endurance performance in both groups shows that both training programs are effective, although the maximal training group decreased their 15-second and 30-second mean maximal power output. They're also saying that this is possibly due to detraining of the anaerobic pathways while the submax group did maintain these pathways through the multiple efforts with short recovery. The conclusion from this study is that there was no difference found in increase in endurance performance in elite cyclists using maximal or submaximal strength training, suggesting that submaximal strength training is sufficient and effective for road cycling performance. Pretty interesting, Hart, because this is something that I've been reading a lot about lately, and it's at the elite level where strength training becomes more difficult to see results. And this is more in relation to their overall training load, like I said, rather than just their strength training load. I actually see this and agree with this in theory. I haven't seen any plateaus in my athletes, though, and I wonder at what point an athlete becomes elite and gets used to training. It'd be good to quantify this in some way instead of being blind and just having to keep an eye out for certain indicators or knowing what power numbers will plateau or decline before you need to start switching up their strength training and doing something else. It does raise some interesting questions about strength training and the studies that are being done looking at the relationship between cycling and strength training. It's definitely pointed out some weaknesses in the studies in the subjects of these studies and it's something to keep an eye out when reading through any of these studies in the future because it will be interesting if someone goes down this path and continues to test elite cyclists and finds that there is no difference. That will really give us a clear understanding of how useful strength training is for the end result of adding endurance to an endurance cyclist. Number two, what's cool in pro cycling toolbox W Prime and, and Anaerobic Capacity. This is an article on Pez Cycling News by Matt McNamara about a couple of interesting concepts that really don't get that much airtime outside of hardcore data peeps. So I thought I would dig into this article a little bit to explain these two concepts. The context of the article is that it's based around the toll on the body that an effort at the start of a cyclocross race would take out on the actual performance across the entire race. And the first question that is asked in the article is, the ability to sprint for a whole shot is impressive and surely taxing, but how taxing are they? That's a question that is really important in moving cycling training and racing forward and is being addressed by numerous scientists. If this code can be cracked, then it definitely opens up a whole new world of quantification and possibility. Well, that's my take on it anyway. More from the article one of the critical aspects of success in cyclocross is the ability to repeatedly hit the gas in short and crisp efforts, ranging from the charge off the line to the myriad of 5 and 10 pedal stroke punches out of corners and on out to those 10 to 60 second efforts that define cross racing. You are tapping your anaerobic capacity or W prime 
from the start of the race. So let's learn a little more about it. What is W prime? Over the past decade or so, lactate threshold, the mechanisms and the mechanisms therein have risen to be the de facto gold standard of performance coaching and analysis. So consider that a high lactate power or functional threshold power, maximal lactate steady state or critical power really sets the entry point for success in your racing. If yours isn't sufficiently high, you probably won't be in the pack to make the final selection. And this is really a great point that a high FTP only gets you entry into the game. It doesn't instantly mean success. It's the anaerobic efforts, the short and demanding 20 to 90 second efforts that will make all the difference in your racing success. And as McNamara points out, these efforts have often been discussed as to their importance, but it is still a bit of a black box, and thankfully, it is coming more and more to the front of the discussion of what drives performance. One way that this has been thought of is in a sense of a match, and you should be familiar with that term, and if you're not, then here's a quick breakdown, which McNamara does a great job of putting into race context. Watching the first five minutes of a pro cyclocross race, it's easy to believe that they sprint the entire time. And while their pace is likely a sprint to you and I, the reality is that an individual's true capacity for these supra threshold efforts is fairly limited, often referred to as anaerobic work capacity or more currently W prime. It is a short-term energy source that uses non-aerobic, non-oxygen pathways that fills the gap when you hit the gas. Essentially, anaerobic glycolysis is a 10-step process that very quickly produces energy to meet the demands of exercising muscles at a rate that the aerobic metabolism simply cannot match. We typically speak of efforts in the 20 seconds to 2 minute range as being primarily anaerobic. In power-based training, we often have an anaerobic zone that is generally greater than 120% of threshold power. And this zone of training is used to try and raise both the absolute size of this reserve and the ability to recover from these efforts. It's a very useful system. Unfortunately, the trade-off is that there isn't very much of it. You've likely heard of this as your box of matches in terms of saving those matches during races and increasing the number of burn power of these matches during training. Dr. Andy Coggan and Hunter Allen came up with the percentage of over-threshold that they consider matches, and some of these aren't all anaerobic, because we're talking 1 minute, 5 minute, and 10 minutes, where there's a percentage. So, if it's a 1 minute effort, if you go over-threshold at a rate that's higher than 20% for that one minute, then that's what they're classing as a match. And five minutes is 15 to 20% over threshold, 10 minutes, 8 to 12%, and 20 minutes is 8% over threshold. So I have found that this is a really good way of looking at the specific demands of an event and at a high level, knowing what the specific demands of a course is, especially a mountain bike course. But one shortcoming of this method is knowing exactly how many matches you can use up in a ride and what they look like and how long it takes to recover. And this is where steps in Dr. Philip Skiba. And let's get back to the article. How many matches? In 2012, Skiba et al. sought to model W prime using bouts above critical power, roughly the equivalent of functional threshold power. You have likely heard about the power you can sustain for about an hour. It also gives separation from Dr. Andy Coggins' terms, but that's another issue. Followed by recovery at different 
workouts. Each effort involved a 60-second hard interval followed by a 30-second recovery interval. Each recovery phase at a different intensity, ranging from easy 20 watts to moderate, then hard, then severe. They established a few notable observations in this study. And the first one is that the absolute size of W prime in their subjects ranged between 14 and 28 kilojoules, with a mean of 21 kilojoules. Recall that a kilojoule is simply a thousand joules and a joule is equal to watts times seconds. So when you're doing 330 watts for three seconds, you've just used 999 joules or roughly one kilojoule. And that's about a minute all out. The second one is that they affirmed that W prime began to be immediately depleted once power rose above critical power and that reconstitution of W prime did not start until the subject's power was back under critical power. The third and final observation was that the time of reconstitution was impacted by the intensity of the recovery. And at a 20 watt recovery level, reconstitution ranged between 370 to 380 seconds, while it was 452 seconds for the medium recovery effort and averaged 580 seconds for the hard recovery interval. The severe recovery constant averaged over 7,000 seconds, indicating that W prime reconstitution within the 30 second recovery phase of the trial. So that means every time you're going over your FTP, you need to recover, but there's no way you're going to go back and sit at 20 watts and recover, especially in a race situation. So it means you're just tapping into those reserves and you're just reducing them down until you don't have any left pretty much. Absolutely, I like the direction of this study, but it kind of already tells us what we instinctively have known for a long time, that if you go above threshold that you're going to suffer afterwards. Where the rubber hits the road is in training and how you can build your matchbox and be able to quantify the change over time like your FTP. But unfortunately, I can't say we're at that point of quantifying it in your training yet. As the article says, you use this information in your daily training and racing by firstly recognizing that your stores of anaerobic energy are likely smaller than you thought they were. This again highlights the critical strategy of conserving your energy as much as possible while racing. Easier said than done, but that should always be your overriding goal until you make your decisive move. When you or your coach are designing W prime workouts, maximize your recovery. If your workout goal is to truly emphasize your W prime stimulus, then it makes no sense to start your next interval until you are recovered from your previous one. Recall that even at 20 watt recovery level, it still took roughly six minutes for your W prime system to reset itself. On the other side of the coin, when you are doing W prime work, the key is to go hard enough to tax the system and mix the durations. Remember that it's a range of effort. And finally, focus on threshold. Skibber et al. demonstrated that those with a higher VO2 max had significantly faster reconstitution than those with lower aerobic capacities. They summarized that this was due to larger gap between their critical power and their recovery power. Essentially, they had a bigger tank to draw from for their recovery, so work to get your threshold up as high as possible.
So to sum this up, anaerobic level efforts, those 20 to 120 second efforts that hurt so much can be viewed as a crucible in which results are derived. While functional threshold power gets you to the party, ability to deliver super threshold efforts during crunch time keeps you in for the win. Unfortunately, each of us possess a relatively small amount of W prime and the reconstitution of it takes a very long time. On average, the Skiba study participants had less than 25 kilojoules of available anaerobic capacity and a 30 second all out sprint took an average of 330 seconds to recover from even when the power was exceptionally low at 20 watts and higher recovery power took even longer. The practical applications of this are notable when you begin to look at performance in events like cyclocross with a high anaerobic demand profile. Train the systems you need in the manner that will maximize your return and don't neglect your threshold power. An important message and hopefully the software and the studies keep evolving so we can quantify this in better terms as training keeps moving forward. Alrighty then, let's get to the nuts and bolts. And this week is part two, following on from the last episode of our series, When Should You Consider Making a Coaching Switch, where we covered the why, when, and how of changing coaches. This episode covers things that you can do to make the most of your coaching, which can be used as a criteria if you're considering changing and once you've made the change to a new coach. The first thing I want to say here is that the onus is on you to take control of the coaching relationship. Take advantage of the knowledge of your coach and of course, don't be a wanker about it. Think of it more like a team or a partnership in which you can help direct the course as much as the coach. It's all about knowing when to listen and when to talk. My first thought when it comes to this relationship is setting clear expectations about what you want out of a coach for yourself, whether that's in the form of specific deliverables, which you can check off if they're being met or not. But putting the criteria down for yourself and then looking at what a coach does and then how they deliver their service, that is going to be the best way to maximize this relationship. A coach is only as useful as what you want them to be. After you know your expectations, I would talk to your coach about any gaps that you see that they're not meeting or that aren't in the process that you two share. The other side of how to make the most of your coaching is understanding how to capitalize on your coach's knowledge and experience. So I've got four ways here for how you can do just this. Number one is upload your damn data. Knowledge is power, quite literally in cycling. This knowledge comes from what you are doing in your rides and it seems obvious but it's not you have to upload after every ride so your coach can track your performance and measure improvement it is nearly impossible to prescribe workouts without knowing where you are and what needs to be addressed if any part of your recording system on the bike the computer the heart rate strap the power meter or whatever breaks down during a ride take a guess at what the data would have been and put it in there you are the only person that can do that and make a really good estimation of it but it goes a long way in giving the complete picture to the coach. Number two is feedback. And while the data is vital, so are post-activity comments. And these comments let your coach know the quality part of the session. This is also used to make decisions on training, so don't underestimate how important it is. These comments can often be more valuable than the training file itself. It's also important to be honest when reporting this information, though. If you don't let your coach know that you're feeling sick or tired, then how will they know what the reason was if you didn't hit the numbers in training? This feedback completes the picture for your coach, so they can make changes as necessary. 
necessary. And I've got a bit of a rough outline here for the minimum inclusions in a post-activity report. Energy, how did you feel generally during the ride? Legs, were they sore, broken, tired, injured? Motivation, where was your head at? Were you ready to go? Did you find it easy to get out and do the rides? Sleep, just a number will do but quality as well if you want to really get into details and a short ride report kind of what happened on the ride any incidences that you can point to in the training file itself from something happening anything like that that gives a really well-rounded picture of exactly what happened on that training ride is going to make a huge difference when you're trying to put these pieces together number three is maintain regular communication different to feedback it's good to keep your coach up to date with things going on in other areas of your life i'm not not talking about overwhelming them with your shit, but sending the odd email with important parts of your life, especially the ones that will affect your training, things such as any trips you've got to go on, sick kids, changes in jobs or bad weather or whatever, anything that affects your ability to train effectively. Because without this information, the training just can't be tailored appropriately to your situation and this also extends to questions don't be afraid to ask questions this is probably the most important part of maximizing your coach ask as many questions as possible in a format that will get the best response is also very important whether this is email or a call sort out the best place to get your questions answered and then either store them up or just roll them out every time they pop into your head this is because your coach is there to do more than just write a training plan from you. Their job is coaching. Coaching includes advising you on training and racing or clarifying any part to do with a bike, whether it's purchases or workouts or tactics or nutritional suggestions. This is what a coach does on a daily basis. Use them. And like I said, use your coach as a sounding board, someone to bounce ideas off, to be a partner with you in your success. Regular communication is a part of this in keeping that communication open and easy so it makes you not have to go through all the formalities to get through to the real stuff that makes real changes. And this includes getting down to the nitty-gritty where you can just shoot an email without any formal parts of it. Just shoot it through and then you just get the information straight back delivered to you. Number four is follow the plan. Trust your coach and their process. You made the choice for this coach based on certain trust factors that they can deliver you to race day in top shape. But it's not always the case that a rider will follow everything a coach lays out. And I'm not saying to blindly follow a coach. Of course, you ask questions, get involved with the planning process. But at the end of the day, if you're unsure, put your faith in your coach because even the best thought-out training plans don't work if they're not done. So you don't even know if it's going to work if you don't do them or you question them or you don't understand the entire process that's happening. So those four should go some way in getting the most out of your coach. There is no specific questions there because there are so many different contexts that you can get information from a coach. But let's flip it now and put the focus on the coach. And I've got five questions here that your coach should know about you. If they don't, then there's a gap between what you're telling them and what they remember or use to plan your workouts. If your coach doesn't know any of these, then this is definitely a red flag that needs addressing. These five questions focus on the basics, but they are also useful for high-level athletes. 
What are your goals for the season? Do they know your A and B priority races, the requirements that it takes to do well in these races, the requirements of past winners to win the race or do whatever time that they want to do? Your coach needs to have a really good understanding of these actual events. Also, do they know your performance goals? Have you set performance goals? But do they know your performance goals? And are they actively working to get you to those performance goals? Number two, does your coach know if your zones are correct? When was the last time your your zones were changed? Why did they change and how did your coach get that number? This is really important because this is the basis of all training prescriptions. And if it's out and you're doing the wrong wattage, it is a quick way to crush your training and not make it as specific to you as it should be. Number three, how much workload and recovery time do you need? Do they know how much workload you can handle before you need recovery? Do they know your recovery floor, which is the lowest training stress balance that you can handle before you start getting into overtraining or sickness or tiredness or just yelling at people? They should have an idea of the training stress balance negative number that indicates that you are getting close to your edge. They should also be familiar with your patterns, understanding over a few cycles what your patterns are within the performance management chart and how to be proactive rather than waiting and being reactive. Number four, what your strengths and weaknesses are. Part of this is knowing your past athletic history and looking at the data that you had before you got to the coach, but also while you're being trained and tested under the new coach. This is really a big part because it is forming the strategy of what system you're training at what time of the year. It is definitely a must know. Number five, how much and when are your holidays scheduled for? This is super important because... Are you going to use it for training camps or will you be off the bike completely? This is important for planning because huge chunks of time off the bike in the middle of a season can make or break your season. So your coach should know this in advance. This is your responsibility to update them, but it's also their responsibility to know once you have told them and then they need to plan around this a long time out. It is not a, I'm taking a week off next week, let's just deal with it. You need to plan this very carefully from week one of your new training year. So answering these questions now rather than later will allow your coach to create the best plan for you. It'll allow them to really hone in on your specific needs and this will definitely lead to your success. So the theme of this episode has been about the flow of information. Making the most of your coaching is giving as much information as possible and checking to see if the coach knows it. And it's also using the coach for more than just a training plan. They're your partner in performance, but you are the driver. It's your responsibility to learn as much as possible and provide your coach with as much information as you can. So you, in the end, are the one that gets the most benefit from this relationship. Alrighty, the tech hacks and product section, and this week we've got a revolutionary and exciting new take on the shoe cover. Well, I'm only pulling your leg here because it's not that revolutionary, it's not really that exciting or really that new, but it is worth looking into and recommending for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's a way of ditching the neoprene shoe covers, and When I was thinking about this, I really do have a personal vendetta against neoprene shoe covers. I absolutely fucking hate them, and they are super ugly in form and in function, and wetsuit material really is only good for two things, wetsuits and laptop sleeves. I don't even believe they're good for laptop sleeves, but anyway, 
The Velotoes use rubber. Latex, in fact. So you can imagine that they're not breathable, which sucks for those in tropical countries. I would like to try them out to see how bad they are to make my feet sweat. In cold climates, I would probably wear them on nearly every single ride, whether it is wet or not. They're super cheap at 12 to 15 bucks a pair, and you can use them and abuse them without getting the $40 price tag of the competition. How long do you think they'll last? Well, that's yet to be proven. Being so cheap, you could grab four pairs for the price of one, and they probably last just as long. Finally, they do do custom, which is good because I'm not a fan of their big ugly logo on it. But Anyway, Velotoes is the product. They are a shoe cover for bad conditions, but they do look pretty sexy as well. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can check it out. And now to that quote from the top of the show. It's Warren Bargel. I know I've butchered that name, from Team Giant Shimano, taken from A Day in the Life of Warren Bargel. He was talking about training with his girlfriend in the clip, and when you look at the clip, What is super funny is that he's actually rollerblading, and they're not even rollerblading super serious. So I wonder if this rollerblading makes it into his performance management chart because he calls it training. But anyway, I like how he talks about incorporating all these other real-life things into what he does because he doesn't believe in just sitting on the couch after training and doing nothing. And that's it. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash make the most to find any links used in this week's episode. From there, you can click on any coaching link on the site or visit semiprocycling.com forward slash coaching for more information on our coaching packages. Till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 